All right. Good morning, church. I would say that that was a rich time of praise and worship. Um, you know, we don't get down like some churches. Some, some, uh, one of my, one of my coworkers, he's like, man, we, we, uh, we praise and worship for an hour. <laughs> and he's a youngster. So he's like, man, I get tired. And sometimes I'm like, man, maybe we should, you know, but it, it, it's all good. It's not a matter of if it's two songs or 20 songs. It's a matter of the heart. That is the, that is the true uh, thing behind what we do and why we do it. And I'm hearing these songs being played and it made me think of Jesus and his encounter with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. We know the, the story well, right? He purposely went through Samaria because he wanted to meet directly, specifically with her. And he had mentioned something to her because she had said, well, you Jews, you worship in the temple and we worship, us Samaritans worship on the mountain. Are, are, how are you going to get water from this well? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob? And he said, woman, I tell you. And obviously the, the, the title woman is never met in a, in a demeaning way. It's actually an enduring thing back then. And we kind of twisted it. And now people say, oh, woman, that's a whole nother sermon anyways. But Jesus says, woman, one day it's not going to matter whether you worship in a temple or you worship on, on a mountaintop. If you worship in spirit and in truth, that is what matters. Amen. And today that's what we have to understand. Spirit and in truth. When you look at your life, are you submitted to the Lord in spirit and in truth? That is what we need so much. Not just in America, everywhere around this world. And I think as me and Daniel were talking, uh, you know, before we were uh, praying this morning, uh, I think there's obviously there's so much reason to celebrate, you know. Uh, and I was reminded this morning, I heard a message, and I'm just sharing this before we get into it because the Lord has put this on my heart. But he reminded me, you know, just like the disciples on the boat, it's like it's easy to sense the presence of the Lord and be on fire for God when you know, you're ministering through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it seems like all your ducks are in a row, so to speak. I know we're not sinless. I'm not saying sinless perfection. But when you're on the mountaintop, that's a whole other thing when you're going through the valley, when you're going through the storm, the disciples forgot. Jesus commanded them to go on a boat and go. He was going to meet them. It wasn't by happenstance. And so I assume when they got on the boat, the water was calm. And as the night went on, it got rockier and wilder and windier. And when did Jesus show up? Daniel, I'm sure you know this. Others of you that are well-versed in the word, you know when he showed up. The fourth dawn, when is that? That's the darkest part of the night. That's right before day is going to break. And so we're going through things. I know everyone in here is going through something. And it seems like the walls are closing in. And it seems like the bottom dropped out. But do you remember that your Lord, your God is with you? El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Jehovah Rapha, your healer. The one who heals your soul, who redeems you. He is with you through every step of what you go through. We got we to gotta, we gotta, we gotta be in this and understand this to the core of who we are. Or else you know what's going to happen? The circumstances of life are going to squeeze the faith out of you. 
And you're going to be left not knowing what to do. But when it gets difficult, we have to remember these truths that are so embedded in the word of God. It is the word of God. Right? Amen? I just felt I had to share that. That's not even me. It's the Holy Spirit through me. But I truly believe the Lord. That's a word for somebody here today. If you don't get nothing else out of this message and this time here, you need to remember that the Lord God, your God, is with you through every circumstance. And as we talked about earlier, it's actually a really scary thing. Don't just run to God when you're scared and when you're going through it. Because that's the worst thing. Because all of the goodness and, and, and how he gives blessing upon blessing, those blessings will serve as a witness against us if we only run to him when, when times get rough. Because he's got to be the God of our soul, whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley. He has to. He has to be number one. And that's above family as well. I know so. I've seen it. I've seen it on the clock. Family time is the, is the most important time. No, it's not. No, it's not. You serve the Lord God Almighty with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and family time will have its rightful place, but it will not sit on the seat of your heart. You see, when we don't let the Holy Spirit reveal these things to us, we start worshiping our wives or our husbands or our children or our grandchildren, and that's not a good thing. We don't worship, like Michelle said, we don't worship created things. We worship the Creator who lives outside of space and time. Amen? All right, this morning uh, we'll be in Revelation chapter 14. We're going to be going through verses 14 down through 20. Very excited, uh, just privileged to be able to bring the word of God to uh, you saints today. Uh, again, Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 down through 20. This, uh, this message is entitled, The Harvest of the Earth. Hold on to your seats. It's going to get deep. It's going to get raw. It's so no joke. This is, this is such a call for us to take a really deep look at where we're at Amen. and examine our hearts and allow the Lord to weed out things that don't belong there. So please, I don't care how many times you've heard this, this, this portion of Scripture, do not let it just go by. Let the Lord refresh and bring to anew what he has for you today. Amen. All right. So uh, when you get there and if you're able body to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. Once again, Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 down through 20. And it says, then I looked and behold, a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Verse 17. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. 
And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for a hundred, for excuse me, a thousand and six hundred stadia. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for just, again, this opportunity to come together as your people, Lord, as this part of the body of Christ, Lord. And we just pray that you would exercise authority in us and through us right now. Would you help us to put aside every stumbling block, any hindrance, Lord, any, anything that would try to vie for our attention right now. May we be so in tune with you, with the Holy Spirit, that we would just freely lay down everything before your feet. May you have your way in us this morning and beyond this morning. May it be a lifestyle, Lord. May they be a switch that clicks in us today if it had not already. And for those who are already living in that way, may we not grow weary. May we not grow faint. May we continue to press on. Lord, please give us insight through your word this morning. Give us the power, the ability, the wisdom, and the strength through the Holy Spirit to apply these things to our lives. May your word not fall on deaf ears. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Uh, so last week, we learned about the three angels from heaven uh, sent to the apostle John to deliver the proclamation of God. And obviously, uh, we're continuing on in that vein. And this is what has been revealed to the Apostle John, what we just read. Uh, back to last week, just to give us a bit of background so we kind of understand the, su the surrounding settings of what's happening. The first angel came to proclaim uh, the eternal good news of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Proclaimed it. This eternal gospel, right? This eternal gospel is for everyone who ever lived from Adam on down to our present time. We're still living uh, in the dispensation of grace and even into the times of the great tribulation and where uh, there's going to be many martyred saints that are going to die for their faith. They, they will die a, a pretty gruesome death, but they still will be exalted in eternity forever in heaven. But it's that same eternal gospel that that first angel came to uh, share with John to say, hey, you got to let people know this is what's going on. Um, this is important because we have to understand for all of us who dwell on the earth today, there's no valid excuse that anyone could give to not put their hope and their faith in Jesus Christ alone. I'm not even going to say I'm sorry because I'm not. I am compassionate. I'm not being... Uh, I'm not being... <laughs> self-righteous about it but the reality is and we talked about this last week the, the chapter one in the book of romans tells us clearly just through creation through the mountains and the seas and the trees and the plants and just the, all of what god has created it's evident his blueprint is upon that we have a creator we are not justified in our rebellion against god we are not the second angel appeared to John telling him that the wicked city, the wicked governmental system, the world system in opposition to Jesus Christ, that, that the idea of Babylon or that city of Babylon, right, that whole mindset, that will fall. That will fall. Babylon the Great will fall forever upon Christ's return. The third angel went on to state that any person who receives the mark of the beast upon their forehead or their right hand will drink the cup of God Almighty's wrath poured out full strength. That is just, I mean, when you hear that, 
I mean, I cringe. I'm like, Lord, that's just, that's. But again, we have to understand he's holy, he's righteous, he's set apart. And so his righteous judgment is upon those who say, no, I I hold a clutch fist against you, rebelling against you time and time again. I will not submit or bow my knee. We know that the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether we willingly submit, you know, I would like to believe all of us in this room willingly submit we're like, I'm, I'm going to submit. Others are going to be forced to submit. You know, it's hard when you're forced to submit. I don't know if any of you watch uh, UFC. My, my son would say, you're not watching something godly. <laughs> There's blood everywhere. Why, Dad, why do you like? And I, I don't typically like to watch that, but I'll watch boxing. It's still the same thing. It's, um, for some people, it's pretty barbaric. But, you know, to get another man to submit, that is a very, uh, I would say, the unwillingness of the opponent to submit. He's not going to submit, right? The, the, the macho-ness of, of men. <laughs> well, some of women have that as well. I'm not going to bow. I'm going to go out swinging. I'm bloodied up. I don't care. <laughs> Drag me out. I got Alzheimer's now. I got brain damage. It doesn't matter. I'm not submitting. You will submit to Jesus Christ. It's going to be far more than hemorrhaging of the brain for those who refuse to willingly submit to him. But this is what we learned last week in another portion of this. Again, those who refuse to submit to the Lord God Almighty will have to drink the cup of his wrath poured out full strength. There will be no relief for anyone who submits to Satan instead of Jesus Christ. There will be torment in hell forever. Worst of all, Those in hell will be in the presence of Lord God Almighty, but without his aid. I mean, that's just like, that's like you're in the desert and somebody's got an oasis of water and you can't, you can't get any. You can't get to the water, but you're stuck in the Sahara. You're losing ounces by the minute as you sweat out whatever left of fluid you have in your body, but you can't get there. That's what hell is going to be like. No relief, but just that thought in your head of you could have, you had the opportunity. We had the opportunity, but we said, no, I want to go my own way or I can do it later. Finally, last week, we learned that all believers alive on earth during the great tribulation and the final judgment are encouraged to persevere until the end. Don't you love how like the Bible gives some hardcore (laughs) like warnings and it seems like man why would i want to be a christian it's so hardcore you know people say oh it's just so strict and i can't do this and i can't do that and all these rules but you got to understand the other side of it (laughs) the other side of it where god says for you who have chosen to receive me willingly endure until the end we just talked about that when you're in a storm endurance builds perseverance you have to learn i have to learn to persevere as we walk through this life you only i only learn perseverance by going through trials and difficult seasons of life nobody learns perseverance 
when the bills are always paid, when the children are always acting right, when you're never having no kind of hiccups with your spouse, when people outside in the world are always treating you nice, nobody learns perseverance like that. But I guarantee you, you learn perseverance when your patience is tested. Just look at Job. Look at the character of Job and what he went through. I don't know anyone personally who has gone through that much stuff in that short a period of time. I'm sure there's people that have come close and have their own similar situations like that. You know, you hear stories of someone who they lost their mother, they lost their father, they lost their spouse. Man, that's hardcore. And then you sit and they're like, there's a moment where they're like, Lord, what's up? I gave my life to you. I've been serving you faithfully. Why have you allowed these things to happen? But it's in those moments where we have to press in harder than ever before and trust that even though we don't understand why these circumstances unfold the way they do, that God is still good. You see, if Satan can get you to doubt the sovereignty of God, that he's already got you hook, line and sinker. There cannot be any wavering in our faith of that. If you doubt what you need to do is go to the Lord God and confess it and say, Lord, forgive me for my doubt. Give me a heart of faith. Renew my strength in you. I do it all the time. I'd be a liar if I sat up here and tell you I never doubted. But it's very unhealthy to live in doubt. You shouldn't live in doubt. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, the the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who raised himself from the dead, who's given you a new life in him. That should be evidence enough that he's going to come through. Amen? Amen. (laughs) For those who endure until the end, their reward will be great. And I'm not talking about the crown that we're going to cast down at the Lord's feet. I'm talking about unhindered relationship with Lord God Almighty for eternity. That joy, that that peace, all the things that this world can't offer will have that unhindered by the effects of a fallen world. That will be ours. It will be ours. I know that the context is for those who are martyred in the final tribulation, but uh, we have to understand that this is for all believers as well. That's how it's applicable to our lives today. Today, we will get a more in-depth look at reaping and sowing, or sowing and reaping, however you want to order it. Really, I won't say it doesn't matter, but we get the concept. And how one day all reality of what went on in the hearts of people will one day come to light. We have several main points this morning. Or really one main point, but I'm kind of breaking it down into three. It's kind of what I'm used to. But in all in all, we'll get something out of it, Lord willing. The first one is this. Reaping and sowing is an irrefutable truth that no one can change. I I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you believe in evolution. I don't care if you just have no, you just don't want to believe any kind of truth of spiritual uh, weight. The reality is reaping and sowing is an irrefutable truth. You see, Jesus Christ is, is and was a master communicator. He was a master of communication. And obviously you'd be like, well, duh, he's God. He's going to be a master of communicating. And I'd say, yes, you're correct. But what I mean is during his earthly ministry, he had a perfect way of describing and communicating truths in a way that the common folks of that day and age could relate to. 
right? So he would use references and examples that maybe for us today aren't that common, but in those days, because they were so steeped in agriculture, they would understand greatly what he was talking about. And he would use these examples and these references to drive home the truth about himself and the principles that he was trying to give them to live a glorious, godly life here on earth. Amen? And one of those principles was reaping and sowing. You see, sowing and reaping is a law of the natural world, the physical world that we live in. All we have to do is go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 12. On the third day of creation, I'm paraphrasing this now, God commanded the earth to bring forth living plants, bearing seed and fruit, and with seed in it. God commanded that, and it happened. You see, and she knows, baby knows. <laughs> baby knows. These, these plants were given to man for food. Ever since... Time began, man has understood the process of sowing and reaping and has applied this to his own benefit, as we are too, because we have dominion over the earth. It's something that's been given to us as a gift from God. He loves us so much. Again, his crown jewel creation, us. So you have dominion. I remember, where were we? I were at swim class at the sports center on, um, I started my little vacation. I go back to, to work uh, after the 4th of July, but I had a chance to see Kalos and Tirza doing their, their, uh, their swimming and uh, that's how tears it sounded. <laughs> and they're getting ready for their swim class. And, and my daughter starts freaking out. And I'm like, what's wrong, baby? And she's like, Little. and I'm, it's a bunch of ants. And I'm like, it's okay, baby. You have dominion over the ants. <laughs> I'm like, watch. <laughs> and I didn't feel no conviction about it whatsoever. Don't try to hang me, animal lovers, insect lovers. It's all good. I'm not abusing, you know, it's a, the Bible says there's something wrong when people abuse their animals. But, you know, I'm just using an example. Anyways, going back to this whole idea of uh, seeds being sown for the benefit of mankind. And this is what we see here. We see also God uses the law of sowing and reaping to bestow his blessing. You see, God's blessing or blessings, I should say, plural, come Generally to the whole world as he sends sun and rain to the just and the unjust. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. In some cases, his blessings come more specifically to those he chooses, such as Isaac. Genesis chapter 26, verse 12 tells us that Isaac sowed a crop and received a hundredfold in one season because the Lord targeted him for blessing. It's because God is good and God chooses who he chooses to bestow blessing upon. That's just the same thing as uh, the servants with the talents. Some got more, some got less. The whole point is you got some, do something with it. And this is what we see in our lives as well. In regards to Israel, Israel's gratefulness for God's yearly blessing was expressed in the feast of first fruits. When the first of the harvest was brought to the Lord as an offering. That's in Leviticus. If you want to be specific, do believe Leviticus chapter 23, verse 12, and also Exodus chapter 23, verse 19 speaks about this. God warned Israel that if they forsook him and pursued idols instead, the law of sowing and reaping would be suspended and their crops would fail. Go against God. It's only a matter of time. Things are going to backfire on them and on us as well. This happened to disobedient Judah 
on many occasions. You can read about that in the book of Jeremiah chapter 12 and Micah chapter 6. The second main point, obviously I think you you get the theme of where we're at today. (laughs) Sowing and reaping. The second main point is this. Sowing and reaping is also a law of the spiritual world. The spiritual realm, right? We, 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 we believe Jesus Christ and we, we serve him in, in, in faithfulness and truthfulness. And we, we don't walk by what we see, right? We walk by faith. We walk by what we can't see. And so this law is still irrefutable in the spiritual realm. Like I said, it's more than an agricultural principle. It is a truth of life that we reap what we sow. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 tells us, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man or a woman, that's what that really means, reaps what he sows. So what we plant, we are going to get back. There are natural consequences for our actions. The world operates under the law of cause and effect. There is no way around it. Every time you and I choose an action, every time, we can choose the consequences for that action. Every decision we make, it has a repercussion. It has either a positive consequence spiritually or a negative consequence spiritually. Uh, you know, what we choose to view, what we choose to read, the relationships we engage in, the thoughts we engage in. What, what, what do we say all the time? We need to be aware of what we come into agreement with. If we come into agreement with things that are unclean and unholy, don't be surprised when you reap unholy and unclean things in your life. People say, I can't get my thinking in order. Are you washing your mind in the word of God daily? If you tell me you don't read the word of God daily or I don't have enough time, I work and this and that. All right, there's your answer. You're not sowing. You're sowing very sparingly. The farmer chucks the seed everywhere. He don't care. He's chucking this. He's sowing. And when we want to grow spiritually, we need to get in God's word, not sparingly, but all the time. You say, how can I do that? We have no excuse. All you have to do is pick up your cell phone. You don't even have to read you just put, press the Holy Bible app and it will read it to you. I mean, if you're serious about it, if you really want to reap the benefits spiritually, you will devour the Word of God. If you're not devouring the Word of God, you are selling yourself short of the blessing and the victory that the Lord God has for you. I am experiencing that in my own life. That's why I'm up here so passionately. It's not my emotions. It's I'm seeing this in every area of my life. And it's because the Lord is drawing me deeper and deeper into a relationship with him. And it's even when things don't work out, it's like, man, I got the presence of the Lord upon me. Lord, you're with me in this. I'm going to be okay. And I'm just like, Lord, praise you. But we cannot so sparingly and wonder why we don't have victory. That unclean demon of doubt understand that's how satan tries to get at believers unclean demon of doubt unclean demon of fear those two things will be on you if you come into agreement with them you have to break the agreement and say i refuse to receive i mean all you have to do is recite 
and know it in your heart and believe it. First John 4.18, perfect love casts out all fear. Vanish if you truly believe it. If you've really received Christ in your heart of hearts and he is your Lord of Lords. Just saying that one verse, that one sentence, man, it'll vanish. That unclean, nasty, disgusting spirit, that unclean demon has to go. Because the authority of Jesus Christ is upon you and the power of God is upon you when you utter those words of truth. God bless you. That's a grown man sneeze right there. Big man. Big man on campus right there. Who was that? Was that Lou? (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Oh, man. Woo. All right. I got to stay on point here. All right. My bad. Um, Sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. This implies waiting. Nothing grows overnight. You see, well, sometimes we're like, man, oh, man, I gave my life to the Lord. Okay, let's do it. Lord, let's go. And I was watching The Chosen uh, the last couple of days. Me and Veronica have had some time to ourselves. We sent the kids to her parents and, uh, you know, we were able to hang out. Went to a couple very nice restaurants, ate outside. It was just a great time. Just I've got to do nothing. I ain't got to be nowhere. So, you know what? Um, let's do the Pure Flix thing, man, because I'm tired of trying to look on Netflix. I'm try- I, I can't stand Disney, though. My kids, you know, I mean, they whatever. We filter what they watch, but they're always on Disney. I'm like, man, watch something good. And uh, we found uh, that Chosen, um, the Chosen series. Great series. Great series. Um, waiting for them to, to come out with more seasons. You can also give to that. I'm not, it's not a plug. I, I'm just saying that it's pretty cool how they're using that and trying to get that around the world for everyone who has a device or whatever to be able to watch it freely. But it's a great, uh, it's, it's great storyline. They keep it uh, you know, basically as true to the scripture as you possibly can. And um, you know, it was just super cool. Uh, you see him, Peter. Uh, who, I don't know the actor, but the man who played uh, the role. He's so, I'm like, that's how Peter must have been. <laughs> he's like big and brash. He's out in front. You know, he, after, you know, they, they got the catch and he's ready to go. And he's so just pumped and ready to go. And it's like, bro, slow your roll. <laughs> Pump your brakes. You got to grow deep roots in me, homie. Speaking of Jesus, you, know, you can't just be ready. I mean, it's good that you have that zeal for righteousness, but, but take your time. It's not going to come overnight. Peter, let me develop a godly character within you because upon your proclamation that you don't even know yet, I'm going to build my church upon what you say about me. And, and, and this is the same thing with sowing and reaping. Nothing grows overnight. You see, the farmer must be patient in order to see the fruit of his labor. When the Bible likens the ministry to planting, watering, and reaping, it suggests a length of time. It doesn't happen overnight. God will bring forth fruit to his glory in his time. And this is something I think we have to understand when we witness to people. Because a lot of times we can get discouraged. I get discouraged when it's like I'm sharing the truth to someone and it just seems like it's just coming up against a brick wall. But, you know, my wife had to tell me, and I know that she doesn't like me talking about her in the messages, but you can say that I'm, I'm, I'm telling her and I'm talking about her in a good light. But she always has to tell me, you have to understand, Keefing, that the Lord has to reveal things to people for them to respond. Maybe they're just not ready. And we can't be plain judge saying well you gotta be ready now who are we i'm not the lord god almighty it's like i look at my back of my own life and i'm like man i did some horrible things things that i am just disgraced about that i don't have that i would never bring up to none of you 
It's between me and the Lord. But things that I'm just ashamed of. But the Lord would show me you weren't ready. Praise God that he allowed me to live to the point where I was ready and the bottom fell out. And I had to submit to him because I had nowhere else to go. But a lot of times we have to get there. And so, again, things don't happen overnight. It takes time. It's the Lord's timing when someone is ready to receive. What your job and my job, our responsibility is continue to intercede for that person who does not know the Lord. You don't just stop praying for them because it's been a year or two years. Some of y'all here, you've been praying for someone for 10 years and they still ain't come to the Lord. Are you going to give up? You better not give up. You better keep praying harder and harder for that person. You know, and it's in the Lord's time. And, and the Lord will show you if you're supposed to stop. Now, there's a point where, you know, if you've gone on and on and they still refuse, then it's like, yes, you have to, you know, wipe the dust off your feet and be done with them. Uh, but that's as far as you being verbally in their face about witnessing to them. But you can still pray for them. You know, what is it costing you to intercede for someone when we understand what they are being potentially saved from? Eternal torment. Eternal damnation, eternal separation from the creator God forever. I mean, that will move you to pray for an individual. Amen. Until then, we faithful, faithfully labor in his field, knowing that at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You see, that's again, perseverance. We're seeing all these themes continuing to come together. They're binding together like a braid because this is all inclusive of what following after Christ's heart is all about. We can't grow weary just because, you know, we don't see. It's like, should I not study? Should I not show up because these rows aren't packed? I, I don't. I told you last week, I don't preach to empty seats. I don't care if there's one person in here. I talked about this last week, too. I am just as intense with y'all as I am with my own kids. And my wife is having to be like, man, tone it down. But I'm like, you know what? I, I want them to be saved. I want them to know the truth. The world is pouring so much or trying to pour so much garbage into them. I have to. I'm commanded by the word of God to raise my children up in righteousness and in truth. And if I'm not going to do it, I'm not leaving it to somebody else. While I have breath in my lungs, I'm going to do it. And while I have breath in my lungs, I'm going to do it here uh, as uh, the pastor of this church. But you know, we, we, don't, we don't grow weary just because people... It's not about that. We're called to, to build disciples. We're called to build disciples, not churchgoers. I don't, I, I don't want someone to come here one month and be gone the next. I'm, I'm interested in seeing people growing spiritually and growing deeper roots and becoming who they're called to be in Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's not about all this. Like I said, I don't care if there's one person here. That one person is going to be blessed. Amen. We reap in kind to what we sow. Okay? Those who plant apple seeds should expect to harvest apples. Seems pretty simple, right? Pretty basic. <laughs> Those who sow in anger should expect to receive what anger naturally produces. Galatians chapter 6 verse 8 tells us, Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh, they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Living a life of carnality and sin and expecting to inherit heaven is like planting pumpkin seeds but waiting for roses. It doesn't make sense. It will never happen. This principle works both positively and negatively. The one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. But whoever sows injustice reaps calamity. 
it's just you can't refute that it's just the truth i'm sure if you look at your own life you see that and the third main point is this yes we're still on the main points <laughs> hey it is what it is you know i mean it is what it is we 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 weep well, we do that too we reap proportionately to what we sow the rule is the more seed planted the more fruit will be harvested the bible applies this law to our giving as well those who show generosity will be blessed more than those who don't this principle is not concentrated on the amount of the gift but with the spirit in which the gift is given god loves a cheerful giver amen remember the widow's might (laughs) she she gave what she had but it counted as so much men had bags of gold your heart's not right you know i don't know blood money i don't know what it is but your heart's not right this widow's might which is worth less than one penny in our in our currency today was worth more than someone who gave a bag of gold We reap more than what we sow. The law of sowing and reaping is related to the law of multiplication. And this is not, I'm not trying to promote some kind of formula because there is no formula with God. I'm just explaining to you how these things work. Jesus spoke of the seed that brought forth a hundred, sixty, and thirty times what it was sown. That's in Matthew chapter 13. One grain of wheat produces a whole head of grain. In the same way, one lie can produce. An out-of-control frenzy of falsehood and fallacies. One lie. I would never say a white lie because there's no such thing. A lie is a lie. Whether we think it's small and teeny-eeny-weeny or it's grande, gigantic, a lie is a lie. Sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. Hosea chapter 8, verse 7. That's a great one. Drop that on somebody, but do it with the right heart. (laughs) It'd be like a Pharisee. (laughs) Sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. That'll stump you. Positively, one kind deed can result in a blessing that lasts a lifetime. Man, that goes, I can't get into it, I don't have enough time, but that goes back to don't give up praying for people. Your kind deeds, your thoughtfulness of thinking and considering someone else's spiritual condition may be what leads them to Christ. Sowing and reaping is used as a metaphor for death and resurrection. The doctrine of the resurrection of the body is this. The planting of a seed illustrates physical death. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. You see, a seed may die when it falls to the ground, but that is not the end of its life. This is why the warnings of Scripture is so important. When Jesus Christ returns again, there will be two harvests, one of heaven and one of hell. Those who live to serve the Lord will reap the reward of eternal life with him forever. While all those who refuse to submit to Jesus Christ or deceive themselves by following after him superficially will be crushed by his omnipotent foot in the winepress. You see, every action that you and I do tells what direction our lives are headed. Your deeds also serve as the basis of divine judgment. If you practice righteousness, you will receive eternal life. If you practice unrighteousness, you will receive wrath and indignation. That's just what it is. God will judge you and I on the basis of our deeds because what you and I do reveals what we really are And what we really believe. It's as simple as that. I can't say one thing and do another. What I do actually reveals what I say and what I believe. 
That is why any so-called faith doesn't, that doesn't produce works is dead and utterly useless. We understand we're not saved by works, but works are a byproduct of a heart that's been re, uh, reborn and recreated in Christ Jesus. We no longer have a stony heart. We have a heart of flesh, and so there should be works attached to our lives. We all can agree on that. Amen? All right, let's get into it. So verses 14 and 16. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of a man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And the other angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he went and sat on the cloud, swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Okay, so we see this, this first statement, and some people, for whatever reason, they find it difficult to see Jesus as the one gathering the harvest here. They have a hard time with Jesus responding to another angel who came out of the temple. But it is unlikely that anyone called the Son of Man wearing a golden crown is anyone but Jesus. Okay, the reality of having on his head a golden crown is this. Just think about this. Take a minute and consider this. How differently it will be to see Jesus Christ with a crown of gold upon his head instead of seeing him wear a terrible crown of thorns. The word used here does not usually refer to a diadem of power, but to a crown one in conflict. Conflict. Now, this was the conflict. It's amazing to understand when Christ came to judge the world, he would wear the garland of victory, the crown which he has won in the great battle which he has fought for our salvation. Remember, he had to give of his own life. He had to spill his own blood. He had to lay his own life down and all of the suffering he went through. That was the battle, but he came out of that battle victorious. Next, we see uh, the scriptures say, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The ancient uh, Greek word for ripe has a negative sense here. It means to become dry and withered. Have you ever had those green grapes? Especially recently, those green grapes, right? They're nice and ripe. But you've got to eat them like in the first day. <laughs> Even when you put them in the fridge, I'm like, what is going on? I'm a, these grapes are two days old. Do not buy uh, grapes from Costco or fruit from Costco. I don't know if it's because it's a bulk, but we always have a, a never good. <laughs> but these grapes, man, they, they only last a day. And then they're like, I, does anybody like eating like soggy grapes? Ugh. That's like, I don't know. That's like, it's right, right? It's like you got to have either your coffee cold or hot. It can't be lukewarm in the middle. And these grapes, it's like, man, my, my grapes ripe, crispy, like a you know, spouting out juice. I know nasty, soggy grapes, but the idea is, is the same thing here. There, oh, that's what Veronica does. She freezes them. Amen. The idea here is something that is over-ripened. And that's what happens to these soggy grapes. They become over-ripe. It's almost like you're ready to start making wine because they're becoming so, so nasty. But that's, I guess, what gives you know, the, the taste to the wine or makes it uh, potent. But the meaning is that God will judge the earth only when it is over-ripe for judgment. You see, God doesn't rush his judgment. And this, is, this explains why many non-believers and even some followers of Jesus Christ, they hold the view of, well, why does it seem like evil is everywhere, running amok, and God is just letting it happen? We've all heard it. Maybe we've even said it ourselves. We're like, oh, it's so crazy. 
But it's like God is waiting. He's waiting to, dread, to judge excuse me, an overripe world. You see, people will get discouraged and depressed, but we must remember to keep our focus again on Jesus Christ and not on the storms of life. Oh, it's all good. That's, uh, you know, there we go. It's, uh, it's bringing the ambiance to the room. It's, hey, <laughs> it's going down. The application is this. We must remember that evil has its harvest as well as good. There is a harvest of misery and woe, a harvest for the gathering, binding and burning of the tares, as well as for the gathering of the wheat into the, uh, the garner of heaven. This is the focal point of our study this morning. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 8. Whoever sows in injustice will reap calamity and the rod of his fruit will fail. All right, this is the last portion of our message, the last three verses, 17 down through 20. It says, Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, and the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it onto the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Okay, so another angel who came out from the altar who had power over the fire. This seems to indicate that the angel is acting in response to the prayers. Remember the saints that say, when is our time? When are you going to avenge the deaths of those who righteously died for you? The ones who deserve judgment, the wicked ones. Well, this is kind of seeming to be what's happening here. The great winepress of the wrath of God. This imagery is easily lost to a modern day reader, but the original audience, it would have been crystal clear. Again, when we were watching, um, we were watching The Chosen, and I remember there was a scene where, uh, you know, Jesus has, had told, uh, he had told uh, Simon, go, go back to your home. You know, he was the only, he was the only one who had a wife, and uh, his, his mother-in-law was sick, and so he, he could, Jesus could tell, right? He's God. He's like, man, you're, you're, you're like not right right now. You go back, have business with your family, be there for your mother-in-law, be there for your wife. And he goes back and, you know, the scene cuts and you see feet. And then, you know, ladies stomping. She's squishing these grapes. And it just made me, I don't know, as I'm studying for this, I'm like, man, I'm seeing it. I'm like, Lord, this is crazy. But that, that's, what, that's how they would that's how they would do. That's how they would make the wine or prepare the grapes for the wine. Uh, the custom of the day, again, was to produce grape juice by trampling the grapes underfoot in a wine press. Here, the grapes represent the wicked. <laughs> oh, baby girl. Oh, she got that little brush. God will prepare the wicked for final judgment by gathering them together to be trampled upon. Isaiah chapter 63, verses 2 through 4, he prophesied this. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who tread treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained all my apparel for the day of vengeance was in my heart. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but he's talking about their lifeblood was splattered on my garments and stained all of my apparel. I mean, that's worse than the Day of Atonement when, you know, blood would be up to the kneecaps of the priest for killing all the animals. He's talking about my whole apparel. That's a, that's a symbolism of all of the wicked of the world. <laughs> this is what's going on. And he's saying the day of vengeance was in my heart because it got to that point where he said, no, there's a cap to this. Now justice must be served. That prophecy, along with this verse, anticipates a horrific scene depicted in Revelation chapter 14, verse 20. Next, we see thrust your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine for the earth of the earth. Excuse me, for her grapes are fully ripe. The image of the second coming of Jesus Christ as a harvest is also communicated in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 down through 30, and Matthew chapter 13, verses 36 down through 43, with the parable of the wheat and the tares. The implication is that true believers will not be separated from those who merely go to church service until the final harvest. And I have to read these. I have to read them. I have to. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 down through 30. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sows good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came out and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it harvest weeds? He said to them, as an enemy, has an enemy done this? So the servant said to him, then do, do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, less in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat onto my barn. And then Matthew chapter 13, 36 down through 43, it says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. This is Jesus. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out for his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who has ears? Let him hear. The application is this. The reality is these are very hard, sobering statements. They really are. Uh, an example of this is the weed Darnell. Now, I, as I learn more and more, I'm like, why would you ever name your child Darnell? I knew a man named Darnell, or a boy named Darnell when I was growing up. And I'm like, man, what were your parents thinking naming you that? But anyways, that's a side note. <laughs> but Darnell is a mimic weed. 
It's neither entirely tame nor quite wild, and it looks and behaves so much like wheat that it can't live without human assistance. Darnell seeds are stowaways, meaning the plant's survival strategy requests its seeds to be harvested along with domesticated grasses, stored and replanted every season. But you see, Darnell is extremely poisonous, and it can make people very sick if we ingest it. But it's a mimic. It's not wheat it's a weed and this again this is in the natural world we see it it happens a lot in 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 the areas of egypt and kind of that area is where you find darnell uh the most as far as what i understand you see the reality is just like wheat and darnell in the fields spiritually they are together in every church congregation and this is what i mean yes even here This is what I meant about this is a sobering message. We have to really discern where we are at with the Lord. And if we are not where we know he wants us to be, we better fall on our faces and repent and get right and return to our first love. You see, we are not exempt from this reality. All you have to do is look at the 12 disciples. Look at the 12 disciples. They rolled with Jesus for three and a half years and Judas was all in the mix. He's the one who kissed him and sold out. But he rolled with him. You got churches all up and down this great country we live in. And people that are so casual with their faith, claiming I'm a Christian and I'm this and I'm that and I'm going hard for love. Then you got even those who seem legit because I got works. But it's like they're, they're wrapped up in works. They're wrapped, their identity is wrapped up in being a pastor or serving the homeless or doing this and that. Our identity needs to be wrapped up in Jesus Christ. This is something, one of the things I do, but I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I am not a pastor. I'm not, I'm not anything. I'm, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I'm a wretched sinner that has received grace through faith. But we should boast of him only. Amen? How can we know that we are wheat and not tares? The basis of our deeds. You have to reflect. What am I doing? What am I being led to do? What we do and how we live day in and day out determines what we truly believe. James chapter 2 verse 18 tells us, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. But you see, he wasn't in love with his works. They were just a byproduct. But he was more, it was more important for him to profess who Christ was and who was the one doing the works in and through him. You see, you get that? Because a lot of people, they get to a point and they're like, I'm doing it. You know, and it used to get me so irritated when I would hear people say, I'm doing it. And I just wanted to correct them and be like, no, actually, the Holy Spirit's doing it through you. You kind of got it twisted there. And the Lord constantly has to check me on this day in, day out, week in, week out. He's like, Keith, you're, no, it's not you. It's me. I'm doing the work in and through you. Submit to me. Understand who it is. And you'll be okay. And you'll be freed from, you'll be liberated from trying to prove yourself to anybody. I don't have to prove myself to anyone. The Lord already knows. And, and, and that's the same for you. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone, but let your light so shine that the people in the world would glorify your father by seeing the good deeds that are done through you. Amen. That's what the Bible tells us we're to do. 
John chapter, chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Next, we see that these people are fully ripe. This pictures grapes fully grown in, in their prime, almost bursting with juice. This is, this is the ones that we like. <laughs> I like the ones that are bur- bursting with juice. But the spurting of the grape juice from under the bare foot of those treading the grapes in the wine press is compared to the spurting of blood and speaks of the awful human carnage. Get this picture in your mind. What strength do grapes have against the weight and power of a man when he comes to stomp on them? No, they have no power. They're going to get destroyed. It's like the ant under my foot at the, at the uh, sports complex earlier this week. And the riper they are, the more helpless they are. Again, the heel of omnipotence of God will be upon them and they can only break and sink beneath it. Blood came out of the winepress onto the horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia or furlongs. This probably describes, describes excuse me, blood spat, splattered upon the horse's bridle, a picture of tremendous carnage from the Battle of Armageddon described in Revelation chapter 11 down through 19. It is not likely a description of a river of blood running the length of the promised land as high as a horse's bridle is. This would be almost incomprehensible, a river of blood. That's, that's, that's crazy. In ancient times, a battle area extending 1,600 furlongs, approximately 200 miles, was beyond all known conflict but not in modern warfare. This area within a 200-mile radius from Jerusalem, excuse me, will be gathered at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is a vivid picture and a powerful description to show how complete the judgment of God is. And the application is this. This is why the mission of evangelism is so important. Because without the truth of people's condition before God, they will not They will stand in direct judgment. They won't be saved. Today, you and I are called and ordained by Jesus Christ to go into the world and to make disciples. Again, like I said earlier, not casual churchgoers who come once a month and think it's all dandy. Now, again, obviously, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't bash on them, but we also don't let them get off scot-free. You got to have enough heart to tell someone the truth. You know, we have to. We got to be like, hey, man, you're slipping, bro. Trust me, it's happened to me plenty of times, and now I find myself on the other end telling younger men, hey man, stop watching that. You're watching that and you wonder why you're all messed up. Stop watching that. You're coming into agreement with wrong things. We have to be all in. We cannot be half-hearted. She she knows. (laughs) You see, but faithful followers who put Jesus Christ first in everything they do the Holy Spirit becomes the filter in which they run every decision they make through. We, that's what I'm saying. We have to ask ourselves the question. And, and, Lord, are you okay with this? If not, shut it down. Lord, partner with me today. Show me how to love. I was, this morning, I, man, I was like, I was walking back there, <laughs> taking back the, 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 sweep, the broom and the other thing. I'm like, Lord, help me with my attitude. My kids were just, you know, my kids were being kids. Daughter spilling water all over the place, food all over her face. My wife was like, hey, I need your help over here. And I'm like, but I'm trying to do something over here. And the Lord's like, stop what you're doing. 
And I, for a minute, I found myself, you know, bitter. And I'm like, Lord, help me. Help me change my heart. Give me a right heart so I can do this and minister onto my family in the right way. And this is the same thing with us, with the Lord and all that we do. And then going back to this whole thing, I'm, I'm ending it here. This whole thing with evangelism. It's not simply how many people can I tell Jesus Christ about, or tell about Jesus Christ to. How many people can I get the good news out to? But it's actually about establishing lasting relationships. You see, many times we're like, how many services can I hit up? It's not a numbers game. We need to have a heart to want to see people mature in their faith. This is the mission that we are called to. And we must chip away at it one moment at a time. Revelation chapter 14 is a perfect answer to Revelation chapter 13. At the end of 13, and, and, and we were privileged to have Daniel teach upon that, it, it almost seemed like Satan and the Antichrist might win. But Revelation chapter 14 shows who is really triumphant, who is really powerful, and who is really in control. You see, God, his Messiah and his people, not Satan, his Messiah, the Antichrist and his followers. And I'll end with this as Michelle and Isaiah come up. Some may ask, this is the greatest application, I think, for this message. Because we heard all, we heard of all the warnings, but it's like, how can I be victorious? Pastor, how, how, can, how, how can I do this? Simple. <laughs> Remain faithful one minute after another. Every 60 seconds, we need to check to see, are we living in the will of God? We must repent and have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. I love this verse. I absolutely love this verse. Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. It says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. We need discernment to understand this, because a long time ago I had no idea what this verse meant. And the Lord revealed it to me, and I'm so in love with it. I'm like, man, this is so hard, Lord. Remember Jacob. He came to the end of his life, or end of himself. Yeah, end of his life, because he was renamed. And once he realized how bad of a sinner was he was, he wrestled with God. He wrestled with them. We know this. Remember, his name means supplanter or swindler, even out of the womb. He was grabbing at the heel of Esau. That was just his disposition in life. But once he got desperate enough, he sought out the Lord. He wrestled with him and he would not let him go until God blessed him. He received a new heart, a new name. He was now Israel and a new purpose. The reality is this, saints. Many times we just are simply not desperate enough for Jesus Christ. We're just not. We're not desperate enough. You see, when we show him we mean business, then he will do business with you. And he will bless you. But you have to be all in. Today, may we be desperate enough for Jesus that we would not let him go. That we would be those who would go hard after him. Violent, a righteous violence or a desire or a hunger for him with the purpose determined to be blessed and to be a blessing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you. Thank you that your word is true. And as it goes forth, we know that it's going to produce what you call it to do. Father, I pray that your word would fall on fertile soil, that hearts would be hungry for you, that that would be our one desire 
is that we would want to know you more and to please you. Father, do that work only you can do. Lord, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.